and uh, it's always a great joy and a great privilege to be back in my home church where I grew up and see some of the people who were there while I was growing up who are still with us and all the former young people who are no longer young. <laughs> so it's always best to start off by insulting your audience, isn't it? I want, to think, want us to think about this life-changing encounter that Jacob had. Jacob was afraid. As a young man, he had fled from home to escape the wrath of his brother Esau. He had cheated his brother of his birthright and of the blessing. And Esau had wanted to get revenge. Now, about 20 years later, Jacob is on his way to meet Esau. And he's terrified that his brother might still want to kill him. But Jacob has changed over these intervening years. When he left home to go to Mesopotamia, he was a lonely traveler with nothing in his hands but his staff. Now he's a wealthy man. He has accumulated great flocks and herds. While he was staying in the land of Mesopotamia, he now has four wives, 12 sons, and one daughter. But he's had to work hard for them. He who had cheated his brother Esau was in his turn tricked by his uncle Laban. Jacob had wanted to marry Rachel. And Laban had made him work for seven years before he'd allow the marriage. And then he'd conned Jacob into marrying the other daughter first. So Jacob was married to Leah, and then to Rachel a week later, and then he had to work another seven years for the privilege of being married to Rachel. And after that, Laban got even more work out of him, kept changing his conditions of work and cheating him of his wages. Truly, Laban was a deceiver of the first water. Jacob had met his match. He had a large dose of his own medicine when he met his uncle Laban. It was a case of the deceiver being deceived. Yes, Jacob was taught a few lessons during this 20-year period. He learned what it was like to be cheated by someone else. But despite all Laban's machinations, God still blessed Jacob. And he ended up with all this wealth. And now he's on his way back home to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan with his family and all his flocks and herds. He'd left home as one man. Now he returns as a whole clan, almost a tribe. But I said Jacob was afraid, didn't I? Afraid of his brother Esau. On his way to Canaan, Jacob was going to have to pass through the land of Edom, where Esau now lived. So he sent messages on ahead of him, 
asking Esau that he might find favor in his eyes. And the messengers returned with the news that Esau was on his way to meet him with 400 armed men. Of course, Jacob was terrified. He really thought his brother was going to wage war against him. Hastily, he divided his party of people into two groups. And he said, if Esau attacks one group, the others might escape. And then he prayed to God, save me from the hand of my brother Esau. Then he sent gifts on ahead of him. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself. And he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. And he instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do these belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you were to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. And he is coming behind us. So having made all those preparations and sent his family across the Jabbok stream, Jacob stayed on the other side of the stream alone that night. He wanted a bit of help from God. He wanted some time alone. And he prayed desperately for God to help him. And that night, something strange and mysterious happened. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now we don't know, we're not told who this stranger was. But Jacob said later, I saw God face to face, and my life was spared. He named that place Peniel, which means the face of God. So he either wrestled with God or with an angel sent by God who manifested God's presence to him. And he felt that he had seen God face to face. As Jacob was struggling with that messenger, with that stranger, he found he could not overpower him. And in the struggle, Jacob's lip was wrenched out of joint. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and humans and have overcome Please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Jacob limped on that hip for the rest of his life. So what are we to make of this strange story? This weird episode. It's like some kind of dream sequence. But it wasn't a dream. He limped on that hip for the rest of his life. 
Jacob's words tell us that it was certainly an encounter with God, even if God made his presence known through an angel. It was no ordinary human being with whom Jacob was wrestling on that night. And it was a life-changing encounter. And in some ways, it reminds me of someone else in the New Testament. If we'd had a New Testament reading, I would have read about Saul's encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. When he met the risen Christ. And although it was a real experience for Saul of Tarsus to actually meet with Christ, it was also an outward expression of his inner struggle. If you remember reading in the book of Acts about Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, you'll realize that he'd been struggling with his conscience for quite a while before he met with Christ on the road to Damascus. He had been present when Stephen had been put to death and he'd heard Stephen praying for those who were killing him. And Saul had become troubled in mind and he was beginning to realize that persecuting the Christians was greatly displeasing to God. He was not doing God's work at all. And this, I think, was all in his mind as he made his way towards Damascus on his way to persecute some more Christians. Even then, he was thinking and questioning. And when he met Christ on the road, it was the outward expression of his inner conflict. For the risen Christ said to him, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the pangs of conscience. His conscience had been troubling him. And it was the encounter with God in Christ that changed Saul's life. And so it was with Jacob. His conscience was troubling him as well. He had become aware of his wrongdoing over those years, I think. He'd learned a few lessons. He'd become aware, I think, of his willful selfishness. And he realized that he'd done wrong to his brother Esau. And he was becoming aware of the fact he needed to be both reconciled to Esau and put right with God. And so that spiritual encounter happened. And in this encounter, Jacob seems to be struggling both with God and with himself. If you like, he is struggling to submit his will to God. And when he does that, he receives the blessing from God. It's all very paradoxical, isn't it? But then, is it not a picture of the spiritual life? Isn't the Christian life like that? Isn't it paradoxical? How strange it is, really, that as followers of Christ, all our victories in the spiritual life are actually God's victories over us, over our sinful and selfish nature. It's expressed very well in a hymn by George Matheson. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conqueror be. I sink in life's alarms, 
when by myself I stand. Imprison me within thine arms, and strong shall be my hand. That is the paradox of the Christian life. In serving God, there is perfect freedom, as it says in the Book of Common Prayer. And so, through his encounter with God, Jacob was given a new name. No longer Jacob the cheat, but now Israel, the one who strives with God. That morning when Jacob went out to meet his brother, he was a new man. And everything worked out beautifully. Esau accepted the gifts that Jacob had sent ahead. And when he saw Jacob, he ran and embraced him. And they both wept. All those years of separation. At last, the brothers were reconciled. And Jacob said to his brother, Oh, my brother, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. He had seen God face to face the night before. And now seeing Esau was like seeing God another time. Being reconciled to his brother was to him a sign of God's grace. Now the brothers were reconciled. They were friends again. It is true they did go their own separate ways afterwards. But they were no longer in enmity. No longer was Jacob living in fear of meeting his brother. And he was right with God as well. His conscience was at peace. All these blessings can be ours too. If we encounter God in our lives. We need to encounter God in our lives. Now, I'm not suggesting that you're going to have to wrestle with an angel like Jacob did. Or you're going to be thrown off your horse by a blinding vision and fall to the ground like Saul was. But every one of us needs to encounter God. Primarily, we encounter God in the person of Jesus the Jesus we read of in the Gospels. So it's through the Gospels, through the Bible, it's through knowing Jesus that we encounter God. Each individual one of us will encounter God in a different way, but it will be through Jesus Christ. And we also, like Jacob, and like Saul of Tarsus, we have to struggle, struggle with our conscience. We have to struggle to turn away from our sins and struggle to submit ourselves to the will of Jesus Christ. But by trust in Jesus, we can also know the blessings of a clear conscience, peace with God in our hearts, and the ability to be agents of God's peace among our fellow human beings. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we pray. If there is anyone here who has not yet encountered you, may they be led to yield their lives to your service. And may all who have entrusted themselves to you know more and more of your grace and power in our lives. That we may be your agents of peace in the world. Amen.